It's Gerald coming right back at you here. He is the man behind Rob McCallum Films and in front of as well, as he would say. You got to check out everything going on at robmccallumfilms.com. Also as well, Rob McCallum Films on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. He's all over the place. Rob McZob. You got to find him. He's out there and he's posting a lot of great new content because he's got a lot of great things to announce. It is my good friend. Long time no here. It is. Rob McCallum. Know you've been busy. Know you had a lot of stuff going on. Just so happy you take some time to talk to me today. I'm becoming one of those like elusive Pokemon that people spend months and weeks trying to, to hunt down. I'm Pokazob, if you will, or, or Pokerob, or however you want to. There's your new Twitter handle. There's my new Twitter handle, Pokazob. Perfect. Uh, yeah, it's been quite busy over here. Of course, the holidays kept us all busy. And even though we had planned to do a bunch of uh, meetups in the middle, just things continually uh, interfered with that. A lot for good, but, uh, you know, there's time is quite limited. As a father, as you well know, sometimes it's hard to make those schedules and family takes priority. So I am back and we do have a bunch of stuff to talk about, which I'm excited to be back to talk about, to be honest. It's been uh, far too long since I've been able to really uh, get you going and push your buttons. There you go. There you go. Because, you know, now, how has the, the vacation been? Uh, it's been actually quite stress free, but uh, I guess the blood pressure is about ready to rise. But before we get to that, before we get to all that, you've got something awesome new to announce. A great new project is now on the horizon. You just started filming it. It's something I'm proud to go ahead and help you out as far as with, with announcing it and just being out there. But it is action figures. The most powerful toy in the universe, the next in the line of great documentaries and great programming that Rob McCallum and Pyre Productions are just putting out there time and time again. But Rob, it's great that I talk about it, but it's even better if you tell us what's going on with Action Figures, the most powerful toy in the universe. Well, I, I mean, I appreciate that. Intro, as always, it is very exciting for us. So it is a new series and feature film uh, as you mentioned, from Pyre Productions, but not just Pyre Productions, also Creative Dynamic, which is a long gestating venture that I've been a part of with my good producing friend, Justin Schoenrock, and he's coming on board in the early stages because it's taken five years, but I finally managed to convince him that long-form content can be uh, the way to go and you can have a lot of fun. He spent his career really in the short-form kind of world doing a lot of commercials. He, uh, of course, teamed up with me to create the Chicago White Sox spot that we did in early 2017 that went on to garner several Emmy nominations. So we've got a history together. We actually met while we were in Vegas, and he's excited to come on board this and, and really make this happen. Pop Culture Cosmos got the exclusive right to share the first kind of interview that, that transpired, some frequently asked questions, so check that out on the website, of course, and we're gonna go down some of that path and probably a few other questions if I know Gerald like I know him. More than anything, we're back at it. Like you said, we're back at it, baby. We're, uh, we're back at it indeed. And once again, you can check out the written form of some questions that have already been presented to Rob on Action Figures, the most powerful toy in the universe today on our popculturecosmos.com site. Just check it out. It's right there for you. A lot of great detail. If you want to know more about Action Figures, the most powerful toy in the universe. But first off, it's not only Justin Schoenrock, who again, you have won acclaim and awards with before in the past, but there's also someone else who's also a major part of what's going on with this movie. 
and also the series and and all the whole nine yards as far as action figures the most powerful toy in the universe that's right there will be a familiar face gracing the screen both big and small if you will to all the folks that have seen some of my other content he's appeared in missing mom very briefly and of course he was the main subject in nintendo quest and that's our good friend jay bartlett who is also taking on a producer role in this one this whole project was something that came from the ashes of galaxy of hope which we tried to get going about a year ago and you know we couldn't figure out at the time what was working and what wasn't working about it but gerald i gotta tell you hindsight is one of those things that never fails you and is very much 2020 so we had some time to think about it and i, I really started playing with the pieces and i thought well, let's maybe try to do something that's a little more broad not just star wars specific because there's a lot of star wars stuff out there and it's really hard to get something off the ground and get people excited about it if, if it's already surrounding them but when you can just stop and kind of say, well, let's just tackle all action figures and see if that works. Well, I mean, the, the response already has been really crazy. So that's where it started from. It started from what can we do that was like Galaxy of Hope? What can we do and build upon that worked in Nintendo Quest and Power of Grayskull for that matter? But make it a little bit more, you know, my brand or our brand. And so action figures, the most powerful toy in the universe, is, is what came out of it. And we're proposing that it be at least a six-episode series. It may be more depending on the amount of content we get and the kind of content. But we like to aim for six and suggest it may go as high as ten episodes. But we'll be following Jay on another collecting adventure. But this time we'll be spending a lot of time with other people that are key creatives in the, the action figure and toy industry, as well as spending some time with collectors and fans and looking really at the qualitative questions that get left out of stuff like the toys that made us. So not just the history, the next step. Okay, so if that's the story, what then? And the hows and the whys things got done. So that's where we're really trying to focus the series on. And of course, because there's a very personal story with Jay going on uh, a mission to hunt down and collect action figures in the name of charity, for everybody that hasn't read this stuff, he's going to go to and, uh, to and fro and near and far to collect the coolest action figures out there, not just the rare stuff that people haven't heard of, but the genuine staples that everybody needs in their collection. He's gonna put them in an auction, and once the auction kind of takes place and all the all the money's tallied, that's what's gonna to get to go to Children's Health Foundation. So it's kind of collecting with a purpose is how we've been talking about it, which is cool. I mean, it was cool in Nintendo Quest to see him, you know, a, a, achieve that, you know, collector's dream of his to have all the Nintendo games. But you don't ever want to just you don't want to just see some guy just keep collecting for something on his shelf. If you can collect and really impact somebody's lives, like we know that we can do with this, then why not do that as well? I think that's what really becomes worthy of viewership and entertainment when you can go out there, take the knowledge you have, and, and truly make a difference in someone's lives. And we're trying to help a lot of ill children who who need the help. And thanks to uh, organizations like Children's Health Foundation here in London, Ontario who we're partnering with, of course, we, we think we can make a pretty good uh, impact and dent on the quality of life that they've got. Now, I am very familiar with what Jay has as far as the collection and as far as his love and interest in action figures, but I always want to hear more about what's going on with Rob and his motivations when he goes and steps into a project. So I want to hear about your motivations when it comes to action figures and your relation, how much of it is a love to you? Because I already know your love for video games, obviously, when you were here in Vegas and obviously seeing everything was going on with Nintendo Quest. But 
tell me a little bit more about Ron McCallum and why action figures are so important to him. Well, action figures, I mean, they easily predate my love of gaming by five or six years. I mean, you need some skills and some sort of cognitive understanding to be able to play video games. It takes a few years to get into as I'm slowly developing and learning with my with my own son right now. But action figures are, are really easy to pick up and become that character. You get to have the same power and responsibility and superpowers of the characters that you basically inhabit. So it's like kind of playing with a physical avatar. And look no further than Power of Grayskull. I was, I was that kid who wanted to be He-Man and had a He-Man and I could say I have the power. It gave me the agency that I that I didn't have as a child, you know. I felt more powerful because of these figures. I got to play these stories and narratives out that that fulfilled me on a level that I wasn't feeling fulfilled in, in my day-to-day life. And I look back and I see other kids doing the same thing. I, I watch, you know, my son play and I see him kind of work through like everyday problems but with his action figures. And I think that's a very, very powerful tool And again, tying it back to what we're trying to do with this mission here, to know that we're actually going to be using these these characters and these figures to give additional power to the kids that probably feel like powerless and more so than a regular child would because of their predicaments, I I think that's really the ultimate testimony. I've had lots of collections from Ninja Turtles to real Ghostbusters, He-Man, of course. I had some G.I. Joes and some Transformers. But it was always He-Man and Ninja Turtles. I had a lot of Dick Tracy guys. And over the years, I've had to piece different things out here and there. I had to sell my He-Man collection a couple times now. The first time to pay for Nintendo Quest. And the second time, uh, most recently, it was a lot of the newer stuff. Though I had some vintage package guys on card. Most recently, t- to basically move into the spot that we are now and take care of some bills and stuff that we that we have going on here. But who knows what we're going to find on the road, of course. You know, when we made Nintendo Quest, I was determined I wasn't going to get sucked into the trap of having to buy and seeing good deals on, on different games and and bringing a bunch of stuff back with me. But I ended up bringing, I think, about a dozen carts back with me after that trip. So given this passion that predates video games for action figures, I, uh, I'm curious what's going to make its way back to, to my office even just in anticipation and, and give preparation for this series, I picked up two new action figures, which are Diamond Select Ghostbusters. They're coming out with the real Ghostbuster figurines that are, of course, for the adult collector. But they look exactly like the 80s cartoon, and they're just so on point. It's fantastic. And I'm, I'm getting them for research, I swear. It's just, it's just for research purposes. Of course. But, of course it is. But yes, I... Those are the only two action figures, save maybe a, a Jareth from Labyrinth I have over here. And I got a, a Han Solo uh, Black Series Star Wars figure. I don't think I have anything else. Funko Pops are sort of action figures, sort of not. But that's kind of my collection for the most part as I look around. One of the things action figures does is it just expands the imagination of children all over, especially when they start to get into understanding the world around them and a world that they would like to see and imagine. Even if it's not the world that they're around today, they can go and imagine they're off somewhere else, doing something else, being a part of something or or getting involved, being a hero, being a heroine. And, and that imagination just seems to run wild, which is always a great thing when you see with young kids when you talk to your son about action figures, what do you see in him that you were experiencing when you were his age? Uh, I see that, you know, the imagination doesn't have limits for a child in the way that an adult might see limits. 
I mean, I remember playing as a kid, you know, I'd play like in the living room or in my bedroom and, you know, there would be a bed there, but I would see it as a mountain or I would see it as a different feature in one of the episodes that I'd seen the cartoon tie in from. And I still remember stories that I played as a kid concretely to this day. And I put them right alongside some of my favorite episodes or comic books or the movies that some of these figures came from because they were just that memorable to me. And so when I see my son play with action figures, he doesn't see the same boundaries, you know, that an adult might see either. And it's really cool. It almost kind of brings me back to watch him play. And of course, I get down on the ground and I play with him. Today I was Skeletor and Skeletor has a bunch of little babies. There's six little skeletons that he has with them. And a Minecraft zombie guy was, was trying to get into Snake Mountain and we were trying to figure out whether we wanted him in or not. But Snake Mountain was just our coffee table that had some books on it. It wasn't, you know, the playset or anything elaborate by any means. But it was enough that it stood in for place of. And I think that's the imagination at work. And he's developing a sense of narrative, being able to tell stories. Then I basically let him, you know, figure out what the storytelling is. And I push here and I push there a little bit to help shape it. And I ask him questions. But everything comes together. It's this big imaginary construct. It's almost like virtual reality but imagination reality. I don't know if that's a thing or if that's just a weird idea to throw out there, but it's all right there. And it's uh, and it's really cool to see unfold. Definitely, and as someone who had action figures in his past as a child, it just sparks that imagination. And it's great to see your kids, just as my daughters before, when they got into action figures for a time that absolutely just that imagination runs wild and, and you see all the new new sparks of life that action figures can create. One of the things I wanted to ask you, you talked about this not only being a feature film, but a but a docu-series as well. And what are some of the notes that you want to hit upon when it comes to action figures? And are there any certain brands or any certain iconic action figures or action figure lines that you want to hit upon during the course of the you know, either the docu-series or the actual feature film itself? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a big question to unpack. Let me kind of maybe explain the feature slash series dichotomy and how that kind of varies. When we made Nintendo Quest, we're at a moment in post-production when I thought maybe this should be a series instead of a standalone film because we were seeing a lot of stuff like American Pickers come out and Storage Wars and even Pawn Stars. And I thought, you know, this is kind of an interesting thing if we cut this down to 22 minutes and we're able to get like four or five or six episodes. It could be a really kind of cool series thing. And ultimately, we decided to go the route of the feature. But here we are now in 2019, and in late 2018, Nintendo Quest premiered on Journey, which is an OTT platform and over the top where you can download an app and stream content, much like Amazon uh, Prime Video or Netflix. And they asked for Nintendo Quest to be recut into episodes so that they could match it with the Power Tour. So we had four episodes from the film that were recut into 22-minute pieces, and then it matched with the nine episodes, so it was a 13-episode run. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then, of course, we did box art as a, as a six episode initially and now eight episode series. And then so when it came time to kind of figure out the final form for this, we thought, well, why do we have to pick one or the other? Why can't we just kind of aim to do both? And where the difference will lie is the series will probably be a little bit more 50-50 split in terms of Jay's action figure adventure and more about the industry of action figures and meshing those two together, whereas the feature will probably be 70-30. And so much as that will be even called the feature action figure adventure. So just like Nintendo Quest featured several segments where 
we talk about the narrative and uh, the narrative kind of style, and we talk about you know the music of NES and competitive gaming. We just really wanted to find a way that the feature could sit on its own, but not overtake with subject matter that took away from the story. So action figure adventure will still be very much Jay's thing, you know, and the series will be more 50-50. Now, in terms of lines and toys that we want to feature, a lot of that is going to probably come from what we find in our travels. So if we come across like a great Mego collection in a store, we're going to want to take some time and talk about that. It's going to be hard to say that we're going to talk about everything in our travels. And of course, we've got some pretty heavy hitter participants on board as well. But you can expect the big four for sure. And the big four for me have always been G.I. Joe, Transformers, Ninja Turtles, and He-Man. And of course, Star Wars, which we've always kind of put in its own category. When it comes to toys and action figures, Star Wars is just kind of untouchable. It's this other thing that's over there. So that'll be a part of it as well. Those five for sure. But there's a ton of other lines out there like Silverhawks, Captain Power, Centurions, Exo Squad, Mask, Visionaries, Cops. You know, there's lots of stuff to cover. And I really like to dig into some of the international exclusive lines that never made it to North America as well. And some lines that were never even promised to come out or, or sorry, were, were promised to come out but never saw the light of day. In fact, I think there's a pretty cool Kickstarter right now for volume two of a book of the toys that were never made but got to like almost like the prototype stage or had prototypes but still never made the mass market. And I think those are some of the cool stories. And being able to showcase that stuff as well as talk to people that never really kind of, you know, get the light of day. Like even a segment on like like vehicle design. Most of these, you know, action figure lines, one of the components is a vehicle or a playset. Well, what are some of the components of good vehicle or playset design? And what are some of the stories that the guys from G.I. Joe or Ninja Turtles have to talk about with regards to those? You know, who knows what we're going to uncover, but it's about shining the light on these little these little nooks that haven't been explored to the depth that some of these other programs and shows have, have explored so far, and really just bringing this information to the mass. Get ready for Box Art, a gaming docuseries from Pyre Productions and Rob McCallum Films. If you love video games, chances are there's a box cover or cover image that you love and has stuck with you for decades. In our series, Box Art, we travel across North America to visit with the unknown illustrators and artists responsible for creating the most iconic gaming images of all time. What was once scheduled to be a 90-minute documentary is now a six-episode season packed with unbelievable tales that paint a picture of the gaming industry you've never imagined. Just one of the many pop culture projects from Rob McCallum, Empire Productions. As someone who still frequents Retro City Games quite a bit here in Henderson in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada, and sees the collection that they're growing with, with a whole ton of different types from G.I. Joe and Star Wars and the whole nine yards. In fact, I just came across that they recently received three box Lord of the Rings sets that would just look awesome. And the detail on it, I was not even aware of that they actually had that many lines out. And it was just nice to see all that. But there is so much more when you're expanding into the world of action figures. Where do you guys want to go? Where where are you guys going to go and set out on your stuff? Is there there's certain places that you have in mind? Because obviously when it came to Nintendo Quest, if you watch the awesome documentary that it is, you go ahead and you see the pattern of where Jay was heading to each and every stop along the way. Do you already have it mapped out or just leaving room for some gray area as of right now? 
It's 50-50. We kind of have a really good general idea where we're going to go and where we would like to go, and it's probably going to kind of land somewhere in the middle. One thing that we realized pretty early on, we thought, okay, so this will be just like Nintendo Quest, and we're going to have to go here to here, and we're just going to have to keep driving to hit you know, enough stores for it to count. One of the things we learned early on is there are far more you know, vintage and collectible toy stores than there are game stores, at least in our neck of the woods. Um, I would say there's at least two to three times. So right away, you know, a day one in Ontario is going to be a lot different than a day, like a, a day in video games. We hit like one, one or two stores in our hometown, two of which were like, you know, pawn shops. We actually have like full-fledged like toy stores now without having to, to resort to those other kind of commercial venues that may have toys. We know that there's actually places in the area that, that sell a, a ton of toys and even like frequent monthly shows within the region where, uh, you know, like expos for, for individual private sellers to come in and kind of hawk their wares. So we know there's more opportunity just regionally compared to Nintendo Quest. But in terms of travel, Southwestern Ontario is going to be a big one. The Great Lakes region for sure, uh, that, which means, of course, going south of the border and hitting you know, Buffalo and Pittsburgh and Columbus and Cleveland and Cincinnati, uh, Indianapolis, Detroit, Chicago, we want to hit. We also want to kind of get up into the East Coast, areas that we didn't go for Nintendo Quest, you know, Rochester, Boston, Hartford, Washington, New York, New Jersey. And if we can make our way down all the way to Florida, then that would be great. I have this vision that would be great to see Jay hit the four corners kind of of the US to really kind of go the distance. There's some logistics involved in, in doing such a, a trek, and I don't know if it's going to be possible, but I, I would be really surprised if we didn't hit one coast of the U.S., whether it's the West Coast or, or the East Coast. But I think we'll definitely be able to kind of hit one of the coasts and knock off a ton of toy stores along the way. One last thing I want to talk to you about, and this, once again, is the director of Action Figures, the most powerful toy in the universe. He is the director. It is Rob McCallum, my good friend once again. You can check out everything that's going on when it comes to what he's doing at robmccallumfilms.com and Rob McCallum Films on Facebook as well. You talked about what Action Figures has represented, what Action Figures does represent, but are you also going to cover about what the future might hold for the action figure industry as well? Yeah. And, you know, every project you do kind of leads towards your next one. And you, you kind of take what works and, and kind of what you wanted to explore and kind of spin it off. The Our video game box art series wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the one segment that appeared in Nintendo Quest with Mark Erickson. And that I always remember that standing out when I cut that film. I thought, oh, man, this segment's really cool. It'd be cool to talk to more artists. And now I got a whole series where we're talking to gaming illustrators. And the one thing that we got to talk about in that is what was the future of box art and cover art and, and illustrators within that industry. So in the same way that we, ex we explore that to, to some extent in video game box art, we of course want to look at the future of action figures, especially with stuff like the decline of brick and mortar, the emergence of 3D printing, online only sales, and, and the ever evolving role of the adult collector and the nonstop seemingly rising price point of collectibles and franchises and the cost of IP. Once again, it is the director, Rob McCallum. It is Action Figures, the most powerful toy in the universe. You're gonna be catching it hopefully sometime in 2020, late 2020, I believe. That's the expected release window, as they now say, as far as the, the term is concerned. 
Yeah, you know, we're aiming for 2020, third or fourth quarter. It may slip, but we feel like we're going to hit it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it sounds like we're an investor conference for EA or something like that. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're targeting these things on average take two to three years. You know, we're in early 2019. So if we can hit late 2020, that gives us a good two years. We've got some good resources behind us now and, and a lot of participants. And we think that, you know, we can tell our, our story with Jay within that time span. I mean, his story is slated to end by the end of this year. So even if only the feature comes out first and then like the extended version, which is the series, comes out after, then that's one way to handle it. And of course, for everybody already asking, is there going to be a Kickstarter? Yes, there's going to be a Kickstarter. We want to put it closer to when we're finished so you don't have to wait two to three years. We'll know more about where we are. And it'll be really your chance to get the special versions, the extended cuts, and really the the higher, more intense fan version than you'd ever be able to get at retail. But we want to do it closer to when we're actually done so you don't have to wait long. And it's just a much easier kind of sale, if you will, to get you on board. But we appreciate everybody who's already gone to facebook.com slash action figure documentary, giving us a like, and I've been participating as well. Absolutely. Once again, it is action figures, the most powerful toy in the universe. So pray tell, Rob, what's on your mind when it comes to pop culture? Well, the big number that I saw floating around the interweb today was 4,000. And this is, of course, the amount of jobs that could be lost as a result of a Disney Fox merger that isn't official yet, but we know it's heading down to that path. Uh, And these job losses are particularly going to be felt in the marketing, distribution, and home entertainment divisions. And I just wonder, you know, when, when this was announced, you and I had a lot of talks about this, the pros and cons, and we we had mentioned some of this, but is this and these 4,000 jobs really the tip of the iceberg of the of the dark side, pun intended, of this merger? None of the other major acquisitions that Disney had, including Pixar and Marvel, you know, had this kind of result, these, these kind of redundancies as they're calling them. So is this the tip of the iceberg? And, you know, is getting X-Men and Fantastic Four into the MCU with these 4,000 people losing their jobs. Well, obviously you're you're very sad when you see anybody losing their jobs, but unfortunately that is part of what this business is all about because we've seen it before with other companies acquiring other companies. Like for instance, Spotify just purchased two different podcast outlets, including one of ours, Anchor. I expect some redundancies there and I expect them to go ahead and, and maybe what, whatever they want to do as far as to solidify it all. Unfortunately, some people might be at risk there. I mean, that that is just part of the, the I guess, the way it goes in the business world when a bigger fish goes ahead and chews up a smaller fish. In this case, this is a big fish chewing up an almost as big fish, but not quite. It's all about redundancies, I guess. And I guess Disney is just not willing to go ahead and and move them or find other uses for these people. It is a sad and almost concerning part of the the equation here. But you and I talked about it for, for a long time as far as speculating on this merger. Did we like it? Did we not like it? But at you know, at this point in time, you got to say, hey, it's happening. It is a done, almost a done deal, anyways. And it's unfortunately that is a byproduct of what this is all about. And we've seen it when it comes to media outlets. We've seen it, when it comes to mergers of anything in any industry where a bigger fish swallows up a smaller fish, and we see if there's any type of redundancies instead of trying to creatively find ways to find pathways for new new positions and ways that they can still be useful the easy way out is always taken by these larger companies 
Right. And we had talked a lot, you know, about this merger when we first heard it, like what was going to happen and, and, and how was it going to trickle down and what was going to be the new structure and, and where was the divide going to be? Would projects get canceled? Would new ones get greenlit as a result of different capital being around and the strate strategic partnering and placement that Disney has within the industry? What I think is really interesting about this is this is the first real decision that's coming. It's not speculation anymore. It's not the guessing game. This, is, I mean, 4,000 is an estimate, of course. And, you know, it is understandable that there are overlaps with marketing distribution and, and home entertainment in particular. But this is the first real kind of impact. And the other impacts that people were speculating on were number of releases. Are those going to shrink so that uh, we're seeing less and less content get made. Is it going to just be content that's pushed to different things? Disney Plus is coming out. Surely there's got to be a lot of job vacancies or, or opportunities on that side of things, especially if they're going to go compete with uh, Netflix. So yeah, I wonder where, where this is, is really happening and how it's shifting and what the other real touchstones are going to be once this kind of goes through. Is the industry going to completely change as some people forecasted with Disney being such a dominant player or is it just going to be the absorption of another media with content what they want and basically creating what they want without too much of an impact in the way that they you know, essentially absorbed Marvel and absorbed Pixar without really changing the status quo. And you know, as always, time will tell, but I think that this is going to be much more drastic. I think we're going to see less content because an entire studio is being erased. And I think we're going to see a lot of battles, especially on the theatrical side uh, with what gets released and how it gets released. And you're going to see a bigger shift than, we, than we've been talking about in the last 20 years for, for the home entertainment side versus the theatrical side. And that's something that's a new equation in all this, because there used to be, as you know, and you were familiar with, there used to be a separate industry between made-for-video movies that were just pushed straight to video. The quality, the production values were never there as compared to what a bigger budgetary concern for either a TV series or a movie theatrical release was concerned. Now you've got a situation, like you said, where they're quite possibly could be less releases due to the merger and the Fox side of things getting slowly and slowly absorbed and producing less and less. I do know FX from the comments that Bob Iger was saying is still going to be a major part of the equation, at least for now. Other entities that Disney has and Fox has, as far as what's being sold, Fox Sports, I guess those entities have to be sold off. Freeform, what is their status going forward as far as from the Disney output? Is there a need for a Disney Channel, a Freeform, other stations like that that Disney has in the offering? Are they just going to go ahead and have these mega channels when it comes to ESPN, FX, ABC, and just go ahead and go with that and run with that and add a plus to everything if you want to go ahead and get all the extra content that's going to be available because of it? So. Uh, it's all up in the air, my friend, but I think Disney does have a plan in place. It's not going to be pretty to a lot of people, but it is going to be something that in the long run is most likely going to be effective for Disney and its shareholders. And that ultimately is what counts in the world of Disney is are they running at a profit and are they doing something that they think long term is going to be beneficial for the Disney consortium? I wanted to talk about Apex Legends, which has now entered the free-to-play Battle Royale fray and hopes to compete with Fortnite. Of course, this is from EA. And it makes sense that EA would enter the space, but does it? 
I mean, how often does the late entry really change the game? And you bring up MySpace dominating what social media was in the in the very early days of, of what it could be with the online profile. And of, and of course, you know, Facebook came up through the ranks and, and slowly overtook it and changed how all that stuff was done. But how often does that really happen with a late entry changing the status quo? I mean, I think it's stuff like soft drinks, Coke and Pepsi, that's it. You're not gonna have another cola at this point that comes up and, and changes the game. Well, Apex Legends is getting some rave reviews. A lot of players are seemingly getting into it. It does seem like it's very familiar to Call of Duty fans because it does move and act very similarly to what we've seen from the Call of Duty because it comes from Call of Duty veterans at Respawn Entertainment. And it does look like a, it looks like a combination of what it would be if you had Call of Duty and Overwatch. We're trying to give you characters that you can go ahead and be a part of and want to go ahead and get into with that Overwatch has. And that that's probably a, a big draw when it comes to Overwatch. And it also has the sheer action and fluidity and speed of what Call of Duty is all about. So you see that minor mix of both. With I think a lot of things that you would take away from a little bit of Fortnite, a little bit of Borderlands, some of those elements are mixed in there as well. So it is something that a lot of people are liking and getting into. Whether or not they're going to get into it as much as you, as you would say a PUBG or even Fortnite remains to be seen. I know EA and 2K, their shares went down in the past few days, even though they reported gains and some expected profits and whatnot, and some even that went above expectation. Their stock went down simply because of what is dominating the marketplace at this point in time when it comes to Fortnite and PUBG. So EA introducing this out there, it seems to be something that might be a nice alternative, whether or not it reaches a larger or mass audience. It did hit 1 million concurrent users within, I think, the first eight hours. So that's off to a great start. But let's see where it goes from there, the microtransactions that are involved. We know EA already and microtransactions are not necessarily a great thing, as we've seen with Battlefront in the past. So I'd like to see what's going on there. The future of Respawn Entertainment as a whole is kind of up in the air because they've got Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order that's expected to come out this year that was announced by EA at its recent shareholders conference. And then Respawn has said it's not delving into a Titanfall 3 at any time soon, per se. They haven't totally shelved that idea, but they are introducing a Titanfall, most likely a VR option at some point in time this year as well. So it's not going to be Titanfall 3. A lot of people are disappointed by that. But Apex Legends, Titans Free, which is another deal I think is with a lot of people that had hoped to actually see put in there are the big Titans from Titanfall. But this is going to be Titan Free. I think it is still is going to be something that a lot of people enjoy. It's getting rave reviews across the board. So it looks like at least from the time being that it's going to be something that might be a nice alternative for people hoping to get away a little bit from PUBG and Fortnite. What what it honestly reminds me of, like very clearly, is when World of Warcraft was, you know, two or three years old and, and still the number one MMO to play out there. And like Star Wars Galaxies came out. And it's like, okay, here's a Star Wars MMO. And then it was just plagued by lots of small, small problems the more you got into it. And I feel like this is the same kind of thing. It just it just feels like too late to the table. Doesn't matter what what's behind it. You're just late to the table. So instead of like trying to play at the same party, you're much better off to figure out the, the next thing and put your resources there. 
just just my two cents on the whole thing because like you said between fortnite and PUBG, you know what else do you need you know you want you really want to make an impact then make it battlefield you know online or battlefront free to play right now respawn entertainment is trying to reach out and doing things differently than what they've done before because titanfall one and two while both were critically hailed they both underwhelmed when it came to monetary and sales expectations compared to the other EA offerings. So at this point in time, it's a wait and see with Apex Legends to see how well it does. But it's off to a decent start. And I think a lot of people are enjoying it. I think at least good word of mouth is it actually a very good start for Apex Legends. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. 2019 marks the 50th anniversary of Sesame Street. Of course, we'll have to wait until November to actually hit the 50 years. And, you know, it's come across a lot of huge competition and it's had spinoffs and it's uh, duration. But the big question I wanted to ask you, Gerald, is what do you think uh, it's what, what's the big reasons it's endured? Is it the funding that they've had? Is it the guests, the topics, the Muppets, the blend? Why do you think Sesame Street has been a mainstay for 50 years other than The Tonight Show and I think one or two other programs? It's 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 in the top four of longest running shows of all time. I think Gunsmoke may, may have had more more time on it. Although The Simpsons with two more season renewals is is still in the, in the works, although 19 years behind. And that'll reach 700 episodes by, I think, the end of the latest two-year, uh, two-season add-on that they just got. Yeah. But when it comes to Sesame Street reaches children in a way I've seen no other show do. I mean, there are other shows that come and go that kids get into, kids get out of very easily here and there. But Sesame Street seems to be that show that gets kids at a very young age into going ahead and being experienced things. And the fact that it teaches along the way is just truly outstanding. And that also comes into play when you're a parent because as a parent, you're not ashamed to show your kids Sesame Street, and you actually go ahead out of your way to to make sure that they go ahead and check out Big Bird and the entire gang there because it is something that gets kids started off on the right note as a addition to what they should be learning already with books, with other experiences that, that help them learn and help them grow. Their funding, it's funny because I was reading articles and about their upcoming 50th anniversary that touched upon that the funding hasn't always been there. And at one time they were in danger of actually losing the show and the show folding up because of a lack of funding. So that has been touch and go all over the place. But now that they're in their type of, what is it, pseudo programming, whether I think on HBO and also PBS, is that correct? At some point in time, there they have yeah. like delayed versions that are now shown on PBS, and then HBO will be getting the uh... HBO already gets the, the newest episode. So in order to to check out the newest releases, you basically have to be an HBO subscriber. But they still trickle down to, to PBS as part of the deal. And of course, their other main funding uh, revenue stream is in licensing. Uh, yeah, overall, absolutely. overall, it's said that they made about they make about a hundred million dollars a year. But you're right. At one point, they they were almost bankrupt and and had to let it go. And, and that's the part, I think, the longevity of it as far as 
not just the funding of it, but just the belief of parents that are out there that, like you said, they buy the merchandise, they go ahead and they show their kids at a very young age this awesome property because there's so many things kids can learn upon as far as you know, letters, uh, expressions, sentences, addition, subtraction, just, just the basics that gets them started off on a right path. And there's been no other show that really does it as well as Sesame Street. And I think that's why it's uh, been around so long. And I think that's why it's going to continue to be around uh, for a long time to come. And there's there's such a timeless nature about how they handle stuff. And it's not just the ABCs and the one two threes, like you were saying, expressions, emotions, situations whether it's you know the damage that a hurricane can do to sesame street or or the death of somebody like mr hooper or topics like divorce or marriage or racism these are all things that have always been a part of the show since day one as things happen to the the human actors on on sesame street they would get filtered into the show because they're they're talking points you know, I was showing an episode of classic Sesame Street to, to my son and daughter today, and they loved it. They didn't realize or seem to really care that it was from the 70s. And you could look at, you know, what people were wearing and even the production values uh, of, of the different segments and the different spots and could tell that, you know, Ernie and Bert looked different or the fact that this was shot on film versus, you know, broadcast and something like a newer episode would have Elmo's World and a lot of green screen. It doesn't matter. There's a there's a timelessness to the way that they handle material, so you can jump back and forth, and, and it doesn't matter. It's gentle. In so many of the shows that are out there today, trying to teach the ABCs and you know the importance of teamwork and cooperation, seem to really try to hammer home this idea of stakes. And if we don't do this, then it's going to be a big problem. And I think subtlety is a part of it too. It doesn't beat you over the head with it. It just goes ahead and teaches you in a subtle manner as far as those basics and those expressions yeah, and those emotions and, of what you're talking about. And that's what I mean. Like all these new shows really try to amp up the stakes, like Paw Patrol. It's like, if we don't find Chicoletta, you know, it's going to be the end of our town. And it's like, oh my God, I better do this. And like, it gives me anxiety if they don't do it. And sure, it hooks the kids and they want they want a good happy ending. But like you said, there's a subtleness to the things that occur on Sesame Street. Like, it's okay to breathe and just figure it out together and just kind of sit back and understand the differences and the different options without being in a pressure situation. And I think that's missing from a lot of content. And this is something that, you know, the producers of Sesame Street over the last five decades have always been really good at developing. And I think there's a, a huge emphasis on character that these other shows don't have. I think the other shows, while they have good, strong characters, don't have the timelessness of these characters that they have, especially with the interaction between the Muppet characters and the human characters. Not quite 50 years, but pretty close with a runtime of three hours. Avengers Endgame is, you know, starting to have some screening fatigue problems maybe, or who knows, at least not contributing to long bathroom lineups as people are refusing to go to the bathroom during these pre-screening installations of, of Avengers Endgame. What is more ridiculous here? The fact that it's a three-hour runtime or people are refusing to go pee? I think it's the refusing because, Rob, you and I have seen before where there's movies that have been three hours that has uh, the Lord of the Rings movies. Those movies are long, not even mentioning the extended versions. And nobody was, well, not enough people were griping then, I should say. Now there's talk of an intermission at this point, which I guess for such a, a movie that has a mass 
following on an, an expectations on a, and a grand scale, I guess some people are, are really going to be keying in on that. And the, I think they should leave it up to the theater chains to see if, if there's going to be an intermission or not. I think they, they should go ahead and leave it to them at, at that level instead of just saying flat out, okay, this is going to have an intermission or this is not going to have an intermission. So I don't know. It just, I, I know that's, this is something that has been talked about in the, in the most recent days, but the Russo brothers have not said definitively it's going to be three hours. There still maybe possibly be some things on the editing room floor that they might leave out. So we'll have to wait and see what this means. But I, I don't know, Rob. I mean, if you don't really plan these things out, then that's on you. I mean, this should be an awesome way to end this part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm excited for it. And you know what? I think I will make sure and I go to the bathroom beforehand. I tell you what, these movies aren't that hard to follow along. You can take three to five minutes and use the bathroom and come back. I'm pretty what I sure you'll be fine. It's what not going to be a big deal. You'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you can connect the dots after how many films at this point about what happens. These stories aren't actually becoming all that new. It's the same beats over and over again. You'll figure it out. Sure, you might miss a joke or a one-liner, but you're going to buy it anyways and watch it at home. Or you're going to stream it you know, on Disney Plus when that's live. So... Guess what? That's another reason to watch it later on. It's okay to urinate when you need to pee. All right? It's okay. It's funny, though, that you mentioned the Lord of the Ring extended editions. I won't even start it. I'm afraid. I've never seen an extended Lord of the Rings movie or a Hobbit movie. And it just, I, I, I'm afraid to lose four and a half hours on Return of the King because I don't, I just, it's too intimidating to me. Break it up into episodes. Let it be manageable for me. I can't handle that much. I just can't. You're missing out because it is an incredible. You know what? At least on the at least on the Lord of the <laughs> so, Rings side of things. This is what we're gonna do from now on. That action figures, the most powerful toy in the universe, is no longer gonna be a feature in a series. It's just gonna be a feature, and it's gonna be three hours long. And you're gonna sit there for the entire thing, and you're not allowed to pee. Good to me. I like a challenge. There you go. Plan in advance. Speaking of which, a challenge. I saw this question was part of Slash Films podcast. What filmmaker in their right mind would sign on to direct Guardians of the Galaxy 3? Someone that probably needs a lot of money in their future and someone that is going to go ahead and, and get the blessing from Marvel and Disney that maybe they won't necessarily get from the fans early on unless the movie is really good and they keep James Gunn's script. And I think that's what it comes down to. If they keep James Gunn's script for Guardians of the Galaxy 3, then I think that not only Disney, Marvel, but everybody that involved is making the right move. And the move that I think a lot of fans would say, okay, I'm not happy that James Gunn has left, but if you're leaving a script in place, that's great. But if, if they throw out his script and do the whole thing from scratch, then it's on, my friend. You're going to get a lot of backlash, not only from the internet, but all over when it comes to Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I got to tell you, I think people are overplaying this and playing this up way, way too much. James Gunn hasn't done all that much stuff other than Guardians of the Galaxy. So the fact that people can be so precious of his involvement is just ludicrous to me. Especially when you look at other kind of change-ups that have happened, you know, with Disney. You got, you know, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, or Chris Lord and Phil Miller, sorry, were ousted from Solo. These guys are essentially like modern day legends. They are essentially the new J.J. Abrams in terms of being able to take on properties and turn them into something really, really special. 
And so nobody seemed to care when they got ousted from Solo because Ron Howard came in. Now, the script was already in place and they had to rework a few things here and there, but the film turned out fine. You know, whether you loved it or not, it doesn't matter. The film was competent. It told a story. I think, if anything, when James Gunn got removed, you're going to see that he wasn't that integral to Guardians of the Galaxy. And if they keep the script, you'll see that the, the problem that people have with the, the third volume, if they have a problem, will probably be at the writer level and not the director level. Well, that's if they keep that. But there will be a certain amount of time between that that's going to lapse between Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and 3 because they have delayed it as far as what into what 2022, I think, is, is what they're thinking I about get, doing. I guess, I guess my point is... And the con- controversy in regards to James Gunn the anger and the angst towards it will probably be diffused somewhat just because of that long time yeah, frame. Time is going to heal a lot, a lot of the wounds there. And there's always going to be people, be people that complain because he's not involved or they heard this behind the scenes and whether that's true or not. But I, I think that's a pretty easy spot for somebody to come in and, and knock it out of the park. It's content. There are, you know, decades of comics with these characters to draw upon the actors know the roles already, so that's a huge resource that you can pull from and use. I don't think this is an uphill climb. I think this is a huge opportunity to find another proven director that wants to play ball and and, and make it work. Now, again, we've talked about was it right or was it wrong for Disney to let this person go for comments he made over a decade ago. I don't know. That's not my decision. I'm not Bob Iger. Clearly, Warner Brothers doesn't care. And clearly, there's a difference between comments that were made 10 years ago and actions like John Lasseter, you know, uh, was accused of and admitted to and him being hired by Skydance. There's a complete different outtake and an approach to both these things. Both guys were let go, though, from the company because there is no gray area. But obviously, everything with Skydance and Lasseter got a huge backlash compared to James Gunn being hired by Warner Brothers and at one point proposed to take on the next Man of Steel sequel and now doing Suicide Squad 2. If I'm James Gunn and I'm trying to make my mark again, am I really going to want to do like Suicide Squad 2 or a reboot or whatever it's going to be called? I think, you know, the bar is set pretty low there. Why not do something a little bit more high profile like A Man of Steel and actually really make your mark? Or Justice League that actually being set in the right direction. But I will say this when it comes to Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2 did a lot more box office than what was even thought of as far as Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 is concerned. It did a lot more than that. But to me and Josh, we didn't find it anywhere near as compelling and, and near as it's it, not. entertaining than the original. So it's not. I think it can only be a step up when somebody else steps into the reins of it. But that's just that's just me. I, I know Josh feels somewhat of the same way because we just thought it was kind of disappointing. And one of the weaker entries of the most recent Marvel movies on this side of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I agree. I mean, it worked, but it was nothing that I thought was so spectacular to the point that I didn't even go to the theater to see it. And at that time, I was seeing a lot of different movies in the theater. It, it's one that I, I saved for Netflix specifically. I, I think there's a, a lot of different things that other directors can bring to, to that you know stable of characters in that story world. I liken it very much to like Harry Potter. There's a lot of different directors on the Harry Potter films, particularly the first half 
where you see a lot of different styles and they're, and they're all great for different reasons. Chris Columbus, Alfonso Cuaron, like you're, you're getting some really great seasoned directors come in there and they each put their own little stamp on it. Ultimately it's a Harry Potter movie and it doesn't matter. So whoever comes in this is going to have to play by the rules of the universe more than kind of do their own thing. But you know, I, it, is it really too hard to imagine some guy like Kenneth Branagh coming back to the MCU and directing something? Probably not. And I think people would say, okay, yeah, he works. He's done some big budget stuff before. He, he gave us the first Thor that was on a shoestring budget and turned that into a franchise. So why not? Like I said, it, it just comes down to what you perceive Guardians of the Galaxy to be. Is it this untouchable franchise that James Gunn should have never been allowed to be taken away from? Or do you think like other people, like I think you and I and Josh and whatnot that have said, you know what, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, yes, it made a lot of money, but it wasn't all that creatively. So it might be time to take it into a new creative direction to see whether or not you're going to finalize this trilogy and make it an ending worth the Guardians of the Galaxy that Marvel fans will love, or take it even into a new direction and expand upon it even further. And I think they should take that route instead of just going ahead and wrapping up the Guardians of the Galaxy series in a nice, neat little bow. Twitter posts a fifth quarter profit despite declining user numbers, which I thought was interesting. Ad sales being the big driving factor, of course. Is Twitter as a platform gaining momentum in your eyes? And are the ads more effective there than Facebook in your experience? They lost 5 million users, I believe, within the past year. Yeah. So I don't see that as a, as a benefit because... Ad sales, that's great. Ad revenue, that's awesome. But if you've got it's less to draw upon, and I think a lot of people are tiring of the Twitter mentality. I know as someone like yourself that, you know, um, in the past has received some unfair criticism, some unfair trolling and things of that nature. We never. I'm no, like, yeah, I'm yeah. Like, I know. Only, only happen occasionally now and then, maybe once or twice. But I, I will say that I think people are getting tired of that Twitter mentality and that the world being ruled by Twitter. Uh, it just, it, we've seen so many people, they've lost their vocation, they lost their jobs, they've lost things in their lives because of what they spoke out on Twitter. And I just think we're seeing the consequences of that as far as that Twitter mob, that Twitter mentality that a lot of people are just railing against and maybe going into a different direction as far as to either get their news or information or just be a part of something somewhere else. Yeah, there seems to be a big uh, vibe difference in Twitter that I've noticed in the last at least half a year. It doesn't feel like the same place it used to be. And I wonder if it's because, of, you know, they've increased the the character limit. I think there there was something that changed about the tone and and style and messages that, that happened once once that, you know, number went up to 280 from 140 or whatever. Sure, people are buying more ads, and I think that's a result of maybe how Facebook is very much pay-to-play now. Otherwise, you're invisible, especially with a business page. But I don't think Twitter is is that much better as an alternative. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens within the next year for Twitter. Like you said, they've lost 5 million users. Their stock market, I think, went down. Their stock went down 19 cents a share, which is pretty big for, for Twitter. And I don't think they're going to have a profitable sixth quarter in a row as a result with so many people essentially fleeing the platform. But also I think the space has, has evolved into something different that before it felt very exclusive and almost upper echelon because you had 140 characters to be smart and crafty. Now that you've got so much more, it feels excessive. And I feel like the platform itself is excessive. And so is Facebook for that matter compared to some of these other outlets. I think, you know, the golden age of social media is probably on the decline 
and we're starting to look at other options. Well, it comes to Facebook. I mean, I talked to my daughters. They do check out Instagram under my supervision and whatnot. Well, I just want to make sure what they're looking at, obviously. But they tell me, even amongst all their friends, their friends don't even want to do Facebook because they think Facebook is for older people and it reaches an older medium and an older crowd. So they are not even looking in the way of Facebook. So Facebook has a image problem that they have to address and they have to address soon. And it now seems like Twitter is going in that direction as well. Facebook is the new email. For a while when Facebook came out, email was old. Facebook is the new MySpace. <laughs> if you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. Last thing I want to talk about today on the Cosmic Crossfire is that ad-supported streaming platforms are having huge revenues as of late. Now, this has been attributed to one thing mainly, and that's subscribers are sick of playing for subscriptions. Right now, between Hulu and Amazon Prime and Netflix plus ESPN Plus and, and of course, Disney Plus coming out and whatever else is in between, you're essentially paying for a cable bill anymore. So the whole attraction of only having to pay $10 a month for a ton of content that you'll only scratch the surface of is almost gone because, as we've talked about before, Everybody is trying to stake their own claim and you have to go here to see our original production content and you have to go here to get this exclusive viewing of this or, or, or to be able to watch it this way. Here comes ad-supported streaming platforms again and they seem to be thriving in this marketplace as an alternative way for people to watch the content that they want without having to pay subscription fees. And it means they only have to endure a 15 to 30 second commercial at the front usually one in the middle and usually one near closer to the last 10% of the, of the episode. Now these are also uh, staged where you, where the creator can also time where these commercials come in, at least on some of the platforms that I've been a part of, which is also a really nice kind of moment. So instead of, you know, you're getting to the climax of star Wars, a new hope, and you're not sure if Luke's going to be able to hit that torpedo in the thermal vent and it cuts to a commercial, it gets timed properly to kind of be part of the entertainment experience. Have you, you experimented with any ad supporting uh, ad supported streaming platforms recently? Uh, crackle, I uh, crackle every now and then. Obviously, is something that comes to mind. I think when it comes to ad supported streaming services, it does have a lot of older content. But every now and then, you, you I see a movie on there that I, I remember fondly, so I watch it. We've already discussed this before, my friend. I'm for for free alternatives or low priced and low cost alternatives. I'm willing to go ahead and, and watch the commercials or have them play on in the background. To me, that's not an issue and not a problem. But I know a lot of people in the past, you included, have mentioned that they, they're disdain for it. But it's obviously, the like you said, the cord cutting is no longer as cost effective as it once was. So now you're looking for, for reasonable alternatives. And it may be a lot of people like yourself turning back into alternatives that have those ad added features as far as commercials and ads and things of that nature put into it. One of the platforms that I'm a big fan of, uh, especially in the last four to five months, 
especially in Canada in the wake of Sony discontinuing support for Crackle here, uh, is Tubi. Tubi is a, a fantastic ad-supported uh, network. Uh, and uh, they also have a, another option if you do want to pay, then you can kind of have the ads taken away. But they're they're super generous in terms of their content that, that has ads. They have a lot of good back catalog, but they also have a lot of classic catalogs too. And you know we're in the process of, of getting Missing Mom on there as well as we announced uh, in, in December of 2018. So it's going to be really cool to be a part of that family, especially since I've paid attention to it very very specifically to see how it functions and, and how they do work. And they were just in the news as well because they posted record high revenues and now they're going on a spending spree to secure more original content and to license stuff, not necessarily away from Netflix, but cert certainly to compete and keep their revenues growing, which I thought is, you know, hey, this is these are the people that I want to be with. They're doing something right. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more on that. I think it's just something that a lot of people are going to get in, into more and more as they tire of the raising rates of Netflix and all the other options that are out there that are going to try and force upon you CBS All Access, Hulu, like you said, ESPN Plus, Disney Plus on the way, and so many other different type of uh, pay ventures. It's again, it's like cable all over again. Yeah, it's it's very much that way. And you got set top boxes like Apple TV that really combine a lot of these things together. So you can pick up what, what you were watching left and you can see the other shows that are kind of in your queue without having to go to these separate apps. But it's very much cable all over again. We've been saying this for years. If you haven't checked out Tubi, I strongly suggest you do because there is some quality content on there. They got stuff from great documentaries to cheesy horror films to classic horror films. Lots of great cartoon series, especially from yesteryear. So if you're looking to learn a little bit more about action figures, the most powerful toy in the universe, you can see some of the cartoon tie-ins that are there. I believe they have G.I. Joe and Mask in their entirety, or at least Transformers, which is which is always nice too, I think. It's, it's a good platform. Check it out. There's something for everyone. So any last thoughts, my friend, on the way out on another great edition of the Cosmic Crossfire? Well, not knowing when we're going to be able to record again, because again, I am that legendary Pokemon that is just uh, rifling through the wild that you hope to come across, Pokerob. I just hope the next time we talk that there is more updates about action figures, the most powerful toy in the universe, or action figure adventure, whatever side of it. I'm also teaching at, the, at a college here as well, teaching some kids on how to, how to make movies and whatnot, and they're in their final year and final semester, so that's been really interesting. Busy as always, action figures is that project is only one of several that we have in the works, so it's it's keeping me busy, and I look forward to entering the Cosmic Crossfire whenever it might happen again. Also for us, it's great to have you on the show, and I wish you the best of luck. And anything we can do to help you out with action figures, the most powerful toy in the universe, just let us know. Give us a shout out here. Once again, it is. Rob McCallum, the director of Action Figures, the most powerful toy in the universe. You got to check all the info out as it becomes available on robmccallumfilms.com, Rob McCallum Films on Facebook, at Rob McZob, not Pokey Rob, but at Rob McZob on Twitter, and so much more. Rob, it's always great to have you on the show. Great to have you on the Pop Culture Cosmos, and of course, right here in the middle of the Cosmic Crossfire.